I'm thinking director. Yep, that's what I want to do. How much does a producer make? Did you go to school? What did you study? What's the best part about your job? How do I get in? Who do I need to know? Welcome to 101, a podcast for young women interested in careers in film and TV. We'll sit down with industry professionals, ask them your questions, and get the answers you need to know. 101. It's It's a beginning. beginning. Hi, 101 listeners. Welcome to the latest episode, season two of 101, a podcast. We are here with Kristen Fairweather. So Kristen, I know this, but what do you do? Yes, I am primarily a film director, and but I'm also a producer and a screenwriter, mostly in the rom-com space. Nice. We, yeah. we are big fans of the rom-com space. I love how you described what you do as a director. I think it was such a great metaphor. You wrote that you, you kind of pick up the baton from the screenwriter And I was hoping you could kind of describe that process a little bit more because I love the visual and I love the, the camaraderie there that I think is so important. Thank you. Yeah. I think maybe because I am also a screenwriter, I just have such respect for my peers that are getting movies greenlit that they wrote. Cause I know what a, you know, it takes the stars have to align for a movie to even get made anyway, but to be able to write something that is able to cut through all the things you need to do to get a movie made. I have respect just for that as a, at a baseline. I used to work in politics before I got into film. So I think I still always maintain such like awe that I'm in this job. Like I love my job. I think it's amazing. And just that my job is to read something that someone else dreamt up and then like add my creative fairy dust to it and then collaborate with all these other awesome creative people to make something that like stands by itself that this person dreamt up. So I think that's been like a real asset for me as a director, because I've heard from screenwriters I worked with a lot of times, they haven't been invited into the process as much. And I, and I'm sure there's all kinds of reasons for that, but I feel like for me, it's been an overwhelmingly positive experience. I actually, I mean, knock on wood, I haven't had any bad experiences at all. And maybe that's because I'm very open to what their vision was, but yeah, for me as a director, you know, I, some, uh, production company will call me and say, hey, we're interested in talking, interviewing you for this project. Can you read the script and see if you want to be considered? And then I'll read the script. And I usually always make um, like my first impression notes because I feel like those are your most pure. I don't know because I know you both are filmmakers and are you both actors as well? I'm a film editor. Okay, Mostly, cool. Like day-to-day, yeah, post-production is my, yes. my jam. <laughs> so envious. I That's like, I always say that's the one skill. I mean, I'm sure there's other things too, but that's the, that's like my most coveted thing. I was like, I wish I could edit. It's, and I actually think it, editors make amazing directors because you really understand like coming in and out of a scene, like things that were, I kind of learned on the job yeah. that editors are, it's so intuitive. But Kate, are you an actress? I started as 
an actor. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I kind of found my way into producing and yeah. I went to school for writing. So I don't know, it kind of all came together. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so so you you might un- understand the first time you read a script. I just feel like you have the most instinctual response. So I'll write all my notes. And then um, I love when the production companies open to me talking to the screenwriter. And frankly, between you and I, even when they're not, I eventually get their email and usually say like, <laughs> hey, I'm so excited that I get to pick up like this awesome thing that you wrote and then we always commiserate after that and I always invite them to set and you know if you have confidence in what you're doing you believe that when they land on set they're going to be happy with what they see you know can you walk us through sort of some of the projects that you've been working on most recently yeah for me in particular I have because I have this very strong interest in social justice and political work I have like work I'm working on in that space. And then my bread and butter, my for hire jobs are light rom-coms. So it's like my world couldn't be more different. So, so currently I have about, I try to not take on really more than five or six projects at once because it doesn't help anyone if I do that. Cause I can't, you know, really realistically give my time and heart. So right now my primary focus is on um, movies that I'm like a for hire director on. And I just finished one of those. We just wrapped, like I'm editing it right now. That's been a great space for me. You know, I know the two of you are really interested in supporting um, young women in this business and like showing them ways in. And I often say low budget romantic comedies is it's a way in. And I also think it's just like a great place to build your skills and your network. I have like wonderful male director friends too. So that this is not, this is just like a broad generalization because historically men have, and still overwhelm, overwhelmingly get these gigs. Like they'll get like, I mean, I know dudes who get like 15 rom-coms a year. I feel like sometimes they're like phoning it in, right? Cause they know there's like 14 more jobs down the pike. You know, I had an executive come to the movie I directed before this. And he was like, Hey, somebody gave me your shot list when I got on set. It's so amazing. I want to send it to a director that this guy who does a bunch of movies for us in Canada. Cause I don't even think he shot lists. And I want to see that you have it on the, and I was like, pew, pew, pew. Like, I was like, well, why are you hiring that person? How do you and have a shot list? Sorry. That was my next question. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I would be like a bucket of anxiety every single day. Yes. But I also say to like the younger women that I'm mentoring in this business or just like women I chat with, it's a great entry point, but don't treat it like anything other than you would treat your passion project. Like it is, you know, I say to like the cast when we come in, like how you do anything is how you do everything. So I'm going to be here for you. Like we've been working on this for like six months in prep. And I feel like uh, now that I've had an accumulation, like this is my fourth movie I just directed where like they'll, um, you know, the execs will be like, wow, like this cast is so together. Like, God, this cast just like really is charming and has great chemistry and all these things. And like, yes, your actors have to show up and kill it. But like to think that they landed on set the first day without like a ton of nurturing that was like unpaid, not required, not asked for. Like when you're working on a low budget movie, there's not the luxury of a real prep. So usually my actual prep for myself and the cast in terms of like paid prep is three days, which is 
bonkers. And the way I feel like I've excelled in that, in that space is because I, the minute I'm hired, the minute we're cast, I reach out to like every person who's going to stand on set on set. And I send them my deck, which I'll make right away. I send them a playlist. I send them references. I send them a color palette and, you know, for the cast, I'll send what I think is like cool and magical about their character and how they all work together. So, you know, we're all making the same movie and they understand what movie we're trying to make. And also like they can be excited about the movie that we're making. You want everybody on the same page when you have such little time together, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I I love that idea that you just, uh, you mentioned a little while ago about the way you do something is the way you do everything. Yeah. It's understandable to approach a, a project, especially when you're starting out, like getting coffee, running to the store, like whatever role that you have on the production sometimes it's easy to think that it's a thankless job and you know depending on the culture of the set like you may really be justified in feeling that way that it's a thankless job but there is always someone that notices your work I also want to say that like providing that level of quality is a credit to to you for Mm -hmm. for doing that work and to making it important that um doesn't just happen (laughs) yeah you know it's like one of those things that as you get older and wiser like now I don't need to explain that to anyone like I have the happiness of knowing that I provided a, a happy safe set for people we are not showing up for like the two people who are never going to behave the way we wish they would behave we are showing up for like all the other people who are finally having an experience on a low budget set that is like lighting them up. And so that's who we're showing up for. And it was like a good reset for me and for them to, to also just be like, go back into the, the next day being leaders with good attitudes. I'm able to stay calm and maintain that. Cause you know, even the actor from the last movie said the, the one who also produces, he came to me and said, you know what? I also produce, and it's been really good for me to like, see you when things get crazy on set and look to you and like, you're calm. He's like, I'm going to remember that when I'm producing. And I was like, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. And second of all, like I still, my cortisol is still like through the roof, <laughs> but what was the moment where you were like, I know that this is where I belong. I grew up all over the United States and I grew up mostly in like Mississippi, Virginia, New Jersey, Philadelphia. And my family is um, just like linear thinkers. My dad's an aeronautical engineer. My sister's a compliance manager. My mom was an office manager. She also was a painter and is a painter and an artist, but it was like her hidden hobby. So, you know, it wasn't even like, I couldn't even dream that I would go into film. And so, and I loved politics and I loved history And so that's what I studied in college and I got my master's in politics. I was working for the governor of Pennsylvania and just had an awesome job, had like a really coveted appointee job for a great governor that I really believed in. My husband and I had our first daughter and I was like sitting in my office one day and she was really little and like just born little. And I saw, like I knew in my head, my next five jobs. Like even my best case scenario, next five jobs, like awesome jobs that are great jobs that I care about because I care deeply about politics. 
but I was like, I, I don't want that. Life. Like that's somebody else's life. Like I'm in, I'm in somebody else's lane. And my husband and I are like huge cinephiles. So we were going to movies like four times a week. Like I used to read the trades for fun. And even when I worked in politics, I loved working on our campaign ads. That was like my favorite day when we were shooting those, you know? So <laughs> there were plenty of indications, but also just for myself, I was like, how can I do that? What does that mean? And there was like a whole series of things that happened, but the kind of short version is my daughter and I, when I was like driving her to daycare, got an offender render. And it was just like a literal, like crash, a pivot. Like I was like, I'm not, this is not the life I want to lead. I want to work in film. And so I looked, I looked on Craigslist. That's right. Craigslist. And I found a writer, director, producer in Philly who was making a movie and she was looking for like a producer. And I say producer, cause I was like, what the hell do they do? And then I looked up what a film producer does. And it was like, um, project management and raising money. And I was like, okay, I've done, I've run big campaigns. Like I understand some of the skills needed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I met her and like by the awesome, I don't know, by good fortune of my life is she ended up being also just like a dreamer, but a type A dreamer, like the best kind of dreamer, <laughs> because we just made the impossible happen together. And that was a film she wrote and directed called Future Weather. And I produced, and it was like, uh, you know, in retrospect, we said we should have filmed that journey because it was just unbelievable. I left politics. Everyone in my life thought I was insane. And thankfully I have like an awesome husband who was like, I think secretly thought I was insane, but, but said to me like, okay, like do it, let's try it. And so, you know, I'm making it sound much easier than it was. I was like working a ton of other little pickup gigs, but we made it work and kind of taught ourselves how to make a movie. And it took seven years, but that movie premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. We had these amazing journeyman actors in it. And it was just like a Cinderella run, even though there were like so many ups and downs. But I thank my lucky stars that that's how I started because I believe in the impossible. I believe like I will take chances that I never would have taken. I think if I took like a very traditional route and I think you can take a traditional route and take chances, but my particular personality, I don't think I would have, unless I like went down that path. And just like a funny aside is we, we got into a bunch of fellowships. We got this like grant with film independent and they like, we flew out to LA and it was like our first big thing. And we went around the table with the other 12 filmmakers and everyone's like, how did you meet your producing partner? And everyone's like USC, NYU, like every person. And we were like Craigslist. <laughs> And everyone's like, um, we want to meet you guys and we want to talk to you. You know, it ended up being like the thing we were most embarrassed about and felt like we needed to like be legitimized ended up being like the thing that everybody was like, how the hell did you get here from like Philly and Craigslist? It was a good lesson that like what you often think is like your weakness is actually your greatest strength in this business. If you own it. I love that. Yeah. I, I don't think you can top Philly and Craigslist. <laughs> I just know. Yeah, um, it's great. It just shows that everybody doesn't go to film school and, yeah. you know, it's not the same path for everybody. And I think that's the beautiful thing about our 
business, but I think it's also the, the maddening thing, the most maddening thing about, about the business. For sure. Um, so hearing stories like yours, I think will really inspire a lot of young women to say, hey, I'm from Philly or, yeah. hey, you know, I, I don't know how to get started, but I'm going to because Kristen did it and, and it's yeah. possible. In Philly, it was great to make a movie there now that I understand and know that now that I've made seven movies we had such a community that like embraced a movie being made there. Like I love Los Angeles. It's my, it's been my home for seven years and I have like rose colored glasses for it. But if you, if you say to somebody, Hey, can I film in your house? They'll be like, uh, no, how much do you have for your location fee? Do you have, have you pulled permits? Like in Philly, they were like, sure. And I'll make you lasagna. And what time? And oh my God, you're making a movie in my house. You know, there was, it was such a novelty. <laughs> like in that movie, my mom's in that movie, like teachers are in that movie. Like my kid, my daughter's whole preschool class is in that movie, you know, well, like, like a labor of love. Takes a village. Yeah, exactly. It totally does for sure. So like call on, who's around you, but also figure out what sets you apart and lean into really believing in yourself. I think I said in like the kind of pre-questionnaires with the two of you, my joke is like, you need to have an almost delusional belief in yourself in this business. And I think for women, like multiply that, it needs to be like in the stratosphere delusional because you get so much rejection that you like, if you don't have a really strong constitution, it like, I'm a very sensitive person and I can't, I think I would, I would be like a puddle of a human if I hadn't built up all these other skills and an incredible community around me of people I'll call, even just people to be like, you're right. That's bullshit. Screw that person. No, no. And then like mm -hmm. you get it out of your system and then you're like, okay, I feel better. I was overreacting or I wasn't overreacting, you know, just sounding boards to be able to like keep your heart and soul in this wacky biz. Yeah, that is so important, like more so than anything else, like having that community. Mm -hmm. That's something that's been kind of ongoing with some of our other guests that they've said that have helped them cope with, you know, what it takes to be in this business. Yes, there's a different way to function in this business. And part of what I really care about as a director is highlighting the importance of emotional intelligence. And I think in what's traditionally been like a business of like steamrolling, or like if you're this like difficult auteur, you must be brilliant, where I like really think that's deeply untrue. And I also think women make amazing directors because they're typically their emotional intelligence is so finely honed a set requires nurturing like people are working crazy hours under like restrictions even at big budgets you have restrictions you still have a budget that you have to work within so having your leader on set like and i mean leader in terms of like setting the tone for the set having them like look at you and see you and know what your job is and know what your name is and know if you have a family or you have a pet or what you care about in life is a way to have a very warm workplace <laughs> because you're not just there to like make a movie at all costs. Like you still are a human being with value outside of the set, even, you know, if we have like a shit day and don't make our day, which rarely happens because I'm very good at making my day. <laughs> <laughs> As a director, can you just 
tell us sort of about what your day-to-day responsibilities are, even though it's not just being on set, it's prepping, getting everybody ready for set and then everything after that. So yeah, when I'm not in production, when I'm in development, my day-to-day is reading scripts, talking to teams that I'm working with, looking at budgets, because I also produce. And, you know, I love when I get a writing day and I try, I like turn everything on do not disturb and like get play music, go to the beach and write and like refill my own creative tank. And then when I'm in prep, it's mostly like watching movies that I think will inspire me, looking at like different color palettes, walking in nature, looking at art, looking at different types of photography, like anything that will start to turn into like some piece of the new puzzle that I'm trying to make. If I'm introduced to the screenwriter, if it's not a project I've developed, I would certainly talk to them about like, why do you want to write this? Like, what's cool to you? Like, what do you love about these characters? What are you hoping the movie's going to feel like? And start starting to cast. Casting is obviously like a huge and very fun part of the process and then working like hiring department heads and talking to them and I'll send my initial deck to them. That's prep and prep goes like that. It's so fun. It's so fast. It's like all adrenaline. It's super creative. I love building a playlist. I have two daughters and so they keep my music way cooler than it would like ever be. (laughs) That's been a huge benefit, but that's most of my day to day. I'm just going to jump in with a a question. I've heard you talk about a deck. If you could just kind of uh, explain that a little bit more to our listeners. Uh, The deck I'm referring to and the type of deck I'm referring to is really a lookbook. Uh, Like a lot of people will use the two words interchangeably. So there's a pitch deck, which it's like, if you have a project and that would include, you have a project you're going out and you're shopping to potential financiers or um, production companies. And that will typically have the director statement, the visuals for the film, but it'll also include like comps for other films, potential cast, descriptions of cast. But for the lookbooks for my the movies I'm directing, I have a ton of those and I'm happy to share. That is your visual roadmap. Like to me, me that is so fun I love putting them together I love like putting on the playlist and you know just digging through like every visual I will re-watch every movie that has that vibe and you know think of like if it's something that's I mean my aesthetic is definitely like poppy and bright and I like that but I'll try to find other places to find those things you know whether it's like artwork or other movies or just anything like just color palette cinema is amazing they have a color palette for almost like every tv and movie that's made and it's like so fun even in the last movie I just directed famously normal I had a um there the first part of the movie takes place in like LA in a very Hollywood world and the second half of the movie takes place in like an Idlewide type town and so I had had this still from Juno of uh, the two actors sitting in front of this like super cute little craftsman house playing guitar and there's music in this movie too that I just directed and that was like the I was like oh this is my north star for um when we get to the Idlewide part like when we're in the mountain town when uh, one of the producers went location scouting, she sent me a video and she's like, you're going to die when you see this house. And it was like exactly like the modern, cute, contemporary rom-com version of that house in like the woods in Pasadena. And so it was great. It was like seeing that like 
emerge off the page, you know, and you, and it was fun because it was, the producer got to be a part of that too. Cause as soon as she saw it, she was like, yes, like this is what they want for the, you know, this is what Kristen sees for this movie. So lookbooks to me are really fun. It's something you can definitely do as a emerging filmmaker, even for short films. I think it's just such a good way to start to hone your vision as a director. And, you know, when I see that movie, I'm so proud because like that I just kept believing in myself not that I wasn't like deeply questioning along the way <laughs> but but you just get more confident so I think if you just make like your next best decision and I often say like being a Gen X like kid who was like sitting in front of the TV for lots of my life has ended up being hugely beneficial to my career because I have just like a depth of knowledge about film and TV that I use all the time yeah, references are huge to try and map out what you're looking for. When you found that location, like it's just so magical coming from post and then thinking about pre, it's just like, wow. Yeah, yeah right. It's so fun. It's a fun part of the process when you're all building that together. When you're finally there and the art department has put together this magical garden and they're having this romantic night and the actors are there and we all like we know, like we all been dreaming that up together. I think lookbooks are a great thing to do when you're feeling like shitty, like nothing's working out for you in this business. Take a day, go offline because <laughs> it will fill your creative spirit again and remind you of like why you started in the first place. I'm going to ask you, what is the best part of your job? Being on set and when everything comes together, I've never acted before. So I have such unbelievable respect for actors and the fact that they can deliver beautiful performances but also just even if I just like even read a line it sounds so bad that I'm just like in awe that they can embody these other people but I see my kids now are in theater and just having the experience on set I'm just like this is amazing like there's nothing beats this high to me of like just everyone in a, like playing together. How cool is that? That's the coolest job in the world that we get to just show up and like make believe and care about it. And pour. it's just like, you have such sensitive souls in this business. And I think because I work really hard to set a positive, happy tone on set that I try really hard to bring in everyone in every position. And so it's cool to me when I'm sitting at the monitor and like the first AC is there and we're like laughing or, you know, even after in this last movie, there was a young actress who's amazing. And after she finished a take, like uh, one of the guys on the crew came by and he was like, she's so good. She's going to be a star. Like, you know, it was just, and I was just like, oh, I love that we're all invested in this creative endeavor together. And then my second favorite part of the job now is having a chance to actively in real measurable ways open doors for other women in this business and also try to change like set culture push back against things that have been like traditionally accepted that we all know are not okay um so that's been my second favorite thing that I'm leaning really hard into in this like next part of my career I think those are such important things so we're going to do the flip side of that the best part of your job what do you think is the yeah. most challenging part of what you do this is a really hard job if you want to do it with a lot of integrity and I think and which I do and I care deeply about and I have like a very deep sense of justice 
I think like the um, surface level hardest part of my job is managing competing agendas, you know, making a decision on set. I really have to think about the big picture for everybody. And I think that's hard. It's difficult, but it's a skill I've worked really hard on. I think working in politics before this, like not, these are thick skin uh, industries. And so I feel like that I have that skill. Like I got it. Every time I'm talking to a younger filmmaker, I will be like, here are the books that I love about directing, uh, directing actors, um, directing for camera, directing for film and TV, cinematography, but just as important is here is Brene Brown's book on leadership, Glennon Doyle's book on leadership and treating other people a certain way, Adam Grant and his way of thinking in new progressive ways. Like those to me are just as important as the creative skills. If you want to be a director, in my opinion, everything comes out in the wash eventually. And if you're like showing up and being a certain type of person in the world and a certain type of director, it pays off. That is the truth. <laughs> and I know that, you know, not many people are comfortable discussing pay, but, you know, when you're starting out, you need to know what what's normal. And then as you move forward, what you're worth. So can you just sort of map out what the pay scale would be for a director? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is um, anyone who's working as a writer, director, or producer should become familiar with the um, the guilds, the PGA, the DGA, and the WGA, and they all have charts that will tell you the uh, minimum payment and the maximum under all different scenarios, uh, you know, meaning like for a feature film, for first draft, for second draft, for third draft, Because, and I think that's just really a great way to empower yourself to know for a director of a feature film, it wildly fluctuates. Normally there's like a measure, it can be five or 10% of the budget. In the low budget space, it's fully the wild west. Like you could be offered, I have heard about women being offered $10,000 for a feature film, which is insane, uh, but it happens and happens frequently to experience women. Um, more commonly, it's in that like 20 to $40,000 space. For most of my male counterparts, it's in the forty to sixty thousand dollars space uh, and up, <laughs> and and so and then I think there's like and there's definitely a DJ minimum, which I believe is closer to like that sixty to one hundred. So the, that's the general ballpark. But I do think it's great, and I do think we should normalize talking about salary because like they're counting on kind of the silence. And I also think it's definitely empowered me in my own negotiations to know what my male friends who are directing budgets of the same level with what often less experience and the first offer that they get from the production company is more. And even it's actually kind of good for them to hear because my guy friends have been like, what? They offered you what for it? Like they're, they can't believe it. And so it's good for them to see too, because they're, you know, in this ecosystem with us. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the more we talk about it, the, the, the better it's going to get. Yeah. Um, and I, and we also have colleagues who are very open about like what they're making and they, they, they support and empower women just as much as, you know, yeah. we support each other. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's amazing for sure. I wanted to add, a another question, just, um, if you're comfortable talking about yeah. it, I am also a mom, uh, yeah. and I have two little ones and I wanted to just kind of talk a little bit about being a mom in this industry. How do you do it? Yeah, I think it's really 
hard for sure. And uh, the, I'm working on a feature documentary and it is about motherhood in America. And the impetus for making that documentary was uh, what happened with myself and almost every woman I know with kids at the start of the pandemic. I think it was very quickly revealed that the how where we pretend women's rights are in this country, and that was obviously pre-Roe being overturned, and where they actually are is a, a different thing. I think I've gotten better with juggling like motherhood and being a filmmaker. And I also think the industry's gotten better as my kids have grown. Now I have my two daughters are 13 and 16 now, which is really different than like, you know, when I had my second daughter, I was, I was like driving with her to North Carolina for the set of like the, this, um, for that first movie future weather, we got into this Netflix contest and my daughter was like, I, I mean, I want to say she was like, 10 weeks old and it was our first big break of course came like right after my second baby was born <laughs> so I was like nursing and like tiny bathrooms in the middle of nowhere and then my like dad and stepmom would take my daughter <laughs> around Asheville we have all these pictures where she looks like she was like just out of the womb in front of like an art gallery like with a <laughs> I'm like there's you on your first film set <laughs> But I think it was really hard. I look back now and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so much easier on myself and all the things that I was accomplishing. And frankly, my daughters, all the things that I thought would be like, they're going to remember I wasn't there. They're like, I don't remember that. So <laughs> I feel like they remember all the what you know great times that you show up for them. And, and also like, especially, I mean, I think it's important for girls or boys or the kids in general that you're raising but like I read this somewhere and I and I really resonated with me somebody said like you don't want to always like every time my husband leaves for work he's not like lamenting leaving the kids and so I think it's really I always say to them you're my number like I love you your health and happiness is the most important thing to me to dad I'm so excited I get to make this movie I love my job like, it's awesome because I want them to work and like, or just be creatively fulfilled and be happy and love their lives. And I don't want them to feel like they can have one and not the other, or like motherhood is at the expense of every other part of their identity. So it's, and now I'm getting some of the payoff of that at this age. I think they're really proud and they think it's cool. And of course they would be like, we think it's moderately cool, but, like, <laughs> but they do, they think it's cool. <laughs> so, so yeah, but I think it's, I always, I definitely see um, more women being uh, bolder about motherhood and not hide, not feeling they like they have to hide it in a way that I definitely did, you know, feel like I had to kind of minimize that side of my life when I was shopping a movie. But again, it's now one of those things that I know is like a superpower and a strength and actually not a weakness. Wonderful. So what do you think needs to change in the industry? I think we need to stop accepting lame answers about why there's not parity in our industry period. I think we can't count on as amazing as she is. And as she is a North star for me, and I admire and respect her, Ava DuVernay is not responsible for fixing parity in our industry. She's a trailblazer and she has shown that like, she doesn't talk about it. She just does it. Like with Queen Sugar, she has launched so many careers 
of marginalized directors that like she just showed up she just knew she was like they can do it of course they can do it and of course they can do it if you make an indie movie where you're raising all the money casting distributing it getting it into festivals and you think you can't show up and direct an episode of tv you're insane you should have to have half of your episodes directed by women i i just think it's ridiculous to have a 20 episode season and not have 10 episodes directed by women. Like that's it. Like all of the programs, I have benefited from them. I have learned from them. I've been a part of them. I appreciate them. And I care enough about this business to be honest, to say it's not enough. If that like NBC's Female Forward is the only program at this time that guarantees the women in that program a episode of TV. And, and there's it's only eight women. It's only been going, I think, two years or three rounds. Every woman I know who's been in that program, it's changed their lives, changed their lives. That program is awesome. It doesn't have some like secret sauce. The secret sauce is guaranteeing a woman a seat at the table, like women a seat at the table. And that's it. I also think the emotional, the actual um, sweat equity of those programs uh, I apply to them. I apply to grants. It takes up a huge part of my working hours. I love my guy friends that work in this business. None of them have uh, updated bios ready to go, director statements ready to go. Um, what shows they love? Why? How would they direct them differently? Every woman I know has a Google Drive filled with documents of applications. Like it's they like why it's crazy to me you know so that that to me is like measurable change is the number one thing and also just journalists like melissa silverstein from women in film yeah. is awesome and she's the only uh journalist i mean kim masters pushes a lot too but melissa is the only person that i see as a journalist there's all, wonderful women doing great stuff in the journalist space but she's the only person who continually says why not this? Why not the numbers? Why not this? And like, I think everyone should be saying that. I don't think a studio should be able to announce another program and without a journalist coming to them and saying, this number of movies have been directed by men. You have 20 TV shows on the air, 30 out of 300 directors are women. Why? That's it. And say, you've had how many women go through your programs? Hundreds. What shows are they on? What did you hire them for? Have you trained them beyond that? Everyone has to hustle in this business. You have to be like 80% hustle. I shouldn't have to be 300% hustle after seven movies. I shouldn't. Like I've paid paid those dues, you know? Yeah, 100%. I think that's an amazing answer. An answer that we uh, we feel strongly about as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is kind of how we started the podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because I think talking about like, you know, People who are benefiting from a system that is shutting other people out don't want everyone to be saying these things. And like, you know, like I said, I've benefited from the programs. I think it's great to have, but I think like mid-career women, which is where I'm at, should not have to continue to prove themselves over and over and over. Like once you jump through 10 fiery hoops, let's extinguish the fire and just make them regular hoops that everyone in this business have to, has to jump through. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
All right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. It was so wonderful talking to you and just learning and um, learning about your experiences and all the things about the business that are important to you and that we should be doing more of. This has just been so valuable for us and for our listeners. And we're so grateful. Thank you. Thanks for to both of you for having me. And thanks for creating this podcast and, you know, just elevating the topics that we need. And also just like focusing on making this business more accessible. Cause I think that's like the big dirty secret is that like anyone can work in this business. There's lots of perceived barriers that yes, that are not necessarily really, really there. Yeah. Nope. Trying to demystify what this is yeah. all about and what it takes. Exactly. And- Um, Every time we have these types of conversations for one-on-one, I'm just reinvigorated each time. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks to both of you. It's really nice to meet both of you too. Me too. Thanks so much to our listeners and tune in next time. This is 101.